Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Due to being a little under the weather and a recurring cough, I'm going to do a rewind of the porch of a Hanukkah teaching we did some years ago. I was a little upset this morning that I wasn't going to get to do the Word, and but I wasn't feeling up to it. So I figured, let me, let me do um, a rewind of a past teaching. And then I listened to it, and of course I... Um, edited it and fixed it, and after I got done listening, I realized why the Lord allowed it, because I needed to hear it. I needed to be spoken to by myself, which fulfills, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things not some things, but each and everything that he allows in our life, that he does in our life, work together for good. All things. Even being too ill to do a Bible study and having to rebroadcast an old one so that I could listen to it and be blessed by it. And I hope that you are too. I hope that it does for you what it's done for me. So, Father, I come to you now in the name of your Son, Yeshua. I love you. We love you. We praise you for all that we have. We thank you for what you're doing in our life. We thank you for this time of Hanukkah to remind us that you are the light of the world and we're called to be your lights in a dark, dying world. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the upper room. We ask, Lord, that you touch us tonight, that you reach us, Holy Spirit, envelop us, meet us at our needs, bless and protect us, protect the technology. Let this word go forth. Let everybody who needs to hear it, hear it, that your will would be done, that you would be glorified, that your name would be praised. And I ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information.
Someday soon you're going to hear that sound and it's going to split the sky and things will change forever. I know that there's some that are telling you that that won't happen or they're saying it won't happen the way you think it will happen. And my response is, let's see how that works out for you. We have entered Hanukkah, so if you participate in the Messianic form of it as we do, eight days of celebrating the miracle of the menorah oil. But let's talk about Hanukkah. Let's take a look at the light of Hanukkah and also the shadows. Because wherever you have light, you have shadows. And unfortunately, some of my friends and my brothers and my sisters out there spend more time in the shadow than they do the light. Hanukkah is a Jewish festival that commemorates the purification and the rededication of the temple. In Kislev 25, 165 BC, which is almost always in December, but sometimes not because we go by a Gregorian calendar and um, the Jews go by the right calendar, 360 days, not 365. But let's back up from 165 BC and let's go back three years. If this were a movie at the bottom of the screen, it would say flashback. Let's go back three years. Let's take a look at Antiochus IV, Syrian king. Basically, what triggers this event he defiles the holy temple. He erects a temple in the temple, an idol of Baal Shemen, which is the Canaanite counterpart of the Greek god Zeus. He sacrifices a pig on the temple altar, and then he proclaims himself to be a god. Well, here's how we got here. Alexander the Great conquers most of the known world, including this area. Unfortunately, he dies at a young age. And on his deathbed, he cuts his kingdom up into four parts, and he gives them to four trusted associates. Two of the four parts were the Ptolemies of Egypt, and the other were the Seleucids of Babylon and Syria. And caught in the middle are the people of Judah. It's amazing how the Jews always find themselves caught in the middle. They're always in the middle, and there might be a reason for that. But anyway, they've returned from the Babylonian exile. They have rebuilt their temple, and I'm sure they probably thought, we're good. We're back. We're home. We've built the temple. Everything's fine. Not always that way, folks. You better have eyes to see and ears to hear if you're going to make it through this world. So here they are. They're located right between the Syrian and the Egyptian sub-empires of Alexander. And both of those two sub-empires, those two quarters, or fighting heavily over Judah for the next 200 years. Eventually, Syria wins. But what makes the story even more compelling is the first temple, which was destroyed in 580 BC, and the Jews were exiled to Babylon just as Jeremiah prophesied. 70 years later, they're allowed to go back and they rebuild the temple in accordance with the story we see in Nehemiah, but they're still under foreign oppression. And then eventually uh, Alexander does what he does in 322 BC, and he conquers the whole area. And Alexander's not a bad guy to the Jews. Unfortunately, like I said, he died young, and the people under him may have been righteous, but their sons were not, and the ones serving them were not. And the world around the Jews, the world around Judah is changing. Greek thought, Greek Hellenism, religious compromise, everything's changing. The cities are building hippodromes for public chariot races and horse races. Stadiums are being built for athletic games in which the participants usually competed naked. Well, the Jews didn't really go for that. The ancient Greeks did. They liked to uh, be unencumbered when they did what they did. The Kardashians would have fit very well into that period of time. But these ancient Greek city-states are filled with these excesses of the flesh, but then they're filled with the other side. They're filled with libraries and 
legal courts and temples and places to discuss and to learn and to feed the mind, a, a literal state of mind, gnosis is beginning to grow and the spirit is being starved. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in full bloom. It's being watered. It's being fed off of, but the tree of life, not so much. But the people of Judah wanted nothing to do with this. They wanted nothing to do with Zeus. They wanted nothing to do with nude athletic games. And they wanted nothing to do with the Greek way of life. But within Judah, within this group, are nobility, the ones with power and with influence, the ones that dressed better, the ones that spoke better. They lived in the better houses. And they begin to see that they need to compromise. They need to get rid of the old traditions, and they need to assimilate. One of the first things I find interesting that they addressed was circumcision. They declared that the circumcision of the male child was barbaric, and they were willing to go along with the Greeks in outlawing it. And when I looked at the, my notes, and I realized, wow, we're there again. The move to make circumcision barbaric, if you actually want to do circumcision from a religious perspective, it's very difficult to find anybody that can do it. And even if you want to do it in the hospitals, like we did with our boys and was done with me, many hospitals and doctors don't want to go along with it because what they'll tell you is it's barbaric, it's unnecessary, it's painful, and all of those are lies. It's been proven medically that those who are circumcised suffer less HIV, less STDs, have less problems, they don't have genital warts, they don't have anything that the uncircumcised do. And as far as harming the baby and hurting the baby, the nerve endings in that area do not kick in until the ninth day, which is why God commanded the circumcision to happen on the eighth day as a covenant with him. The, the one thing we have found and we've seen is our boys cried because they were being held down, not because it hurt. Now, of course, we do have stories in the Bible where grown men later on became circumcised. And, and to that, I, I cringe as I sit here. But today, less than 10% of males are circumcised, and it's mostly those who are adhering to Judeo uh, or Islamic tradition. But for the most part, the covenant with the Almighty has not been honored because society says, don't do it. Well, it's happening there. And the Greek are beginning to water down the ways of the Jews. But remember, I'm talking about Jews. So we're in the middle of a religious war between the observant Jews who want to keep the letter of the law, they want to keep Torah, and then the Hellenized Jews who want to continue to be Jews, but they want to assimilate. They want to disconnect from the Orthodox, and they want to compromise. So the call has come out to compromise, become like the world. Well, wouldn't you know it? Let me just jump forward here. That even after Yeshua, the same thing happened? Now, I know we have that problem today, and we'll get to that if we have time. If not, I'll pick it up next week. But when you go to Galatians chapter 2, and you start with verse 11, and you see that Peter is in Antioch, and here's what Paul says. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. That means he got face to face with Peter in front of everybody else, because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, James being the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself and fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward, 
about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus the Messiah. Even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Messiah, we also are found sinners, is Messiah therefore a minister of sin? And basically what he's saying is, if I've been redeemed by the cross and by the blood of the unblemished lamb, but then I still try to live by the law, I'm saying I'm still a sinner and that I need the law, and that I need the things that are no longer in place. But he says, is Messiah a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And this is where this one scripture gets taken out of context. But look at it now. Paul says, I've been crucified with Messiah. It's no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Messiah died in vain. Now he's speaking to people within a time frame that many were eyewitnesses to the actions of the Messiah, of the Lord. They saw the signs and wonders from him. They saw them from Peter and from, from John and from Paul and from Philip. And yet the further they got away from the cross, the more they were tricked into trying to live by the law. But it's interesting when you see how they got there. Well, let's get back to Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah, this miracle, this wonderful event, has a part in the problem. See, this festival of purification, this festival of the rededication that involves standing up to Antiochus IV, the Seleucid king, the Syrian, who sacrificed a pig on the altar, proclaimed himself to be a god. He even minted coins with his features on the face of Zeus, along with the words, Theus Epiphanes, meaning the god manifest. Well, let's get real. He was the foreshadowing of the Antichrist. But even though he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which meant Antiochus, the visible God, the Jews nicknamed him Antiochus Epimenes, which meant Antiochus, the crazy one. He may be crazy, but he's also in power. And you can say Hitler was crazy all he, you want, but he was in power. And it took him a little while to get there. But once he got there, he did exactly what the spirit of the Antichrist does exactly what the spirit of the Antichrist did in Antiochus Epiphanes. They decree that the law, the Torah, could not be studied under penalty of death. Circumcision was forbidden, and the Sabbath was not to be kept. And let me say this, any time a demonic leader is in place, there will be a war against the word and following the word. And it exposed an internal struggle within Judaism, just as it's exposing an internal struggle amongst those of us that believe in Messiah. And if you don't know it, Hitler had an axiom, and it progressed from, you can't live amongst us as Jews. And then it went from that to, you can't live amongst us. And it simply went to, you can't live at all. Well, folks, in case you haven't figured it out, if we've been grafted into the vine, we've been grafted into the same persecution. So anyway, Antiochus sends troops from village to village with the statue of himself, ordering people to bow down to it. Kind of like the statue that will be 
in the rebuilt temple when the Antichrist takes over. So eventually the statue gets to the village of Modin, which is Old Testament Palestine, and a Syrian officer orders the Jewish high priest, who happens to be Mattathias, to take part in the ceremony. He says no. And I guess an elderly man, thinking he would appease everybody and calm everything down, says he'll do it. And it enrages Mattathias, who's of the Hasmonean families, Judah Maccabee's father. And Mattathias kills the man. And then he kills the officer. And then he kills one of the soldiers. He tore down the Greek altar, and with the battle cry, whoever is for the Lord, follow me. And with the point of the spear and bloodshed, the revolt began. The Maccabean revolt is in full bloom. Mathesius and his five sons, they flee to the hills, and they conduct a guerrilla war against the Seleucids. And basically, very smartly, and listen to this because it will come into play, they make no direct confrontations. They come in, they attack, they take out a couple, and they go back to the hills and the mountains, and eventually they wore the Syrians down. But they're fighting against insurmountable odds. They are outnumbered. I don't even know how many to one, but they're fighting odds that cannot be won in the natural. And they began to have a battle cry. Their banner was, Mi kamocha belim Adonai, who is like you, O Lord? They were quoting Exodus 15:11, who is like you, O Lord? among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. They understood that as long as he was on their side, they could not lose. But the battle goes on for three years, and Mathesias dies, and he leaves his son Judah Maccabee in charge. And, and they think Maccabee, which became their surname, is actually Aramaic for Maccabah, the hammer, ferocious, because of how he fought. Judah took untrained farmers and he taught them to fight the better equipped Syrian army. His victories were so great that it inspired others to follow him and the stories began to travel to other nations of his victories and his ferocity. I don't know Judah then, but maybe he was thinking Psalm 118 verse six, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Maybe he's thinking Daniel 11:31 and 32, and maybe he's the one being prophesied when Daniel says, and the forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation, which will be the Antichrist, but Antiochus Epiphanes does that. And then in verse 32 of Daniel 11, he says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but those people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That's Judah Maccabee. Or maybe it's us today, First John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are the Son of God. You are of God, little children, but have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. No fear. So after three years, after three years of guerrilla fighting, after all of this, the roads to Jerusalem's open. Judah and the soldiers go in. They liberate the temple that was defiled, and they win that battle. But then they go to the temple, and they find out not only are the articles missing or broken, it's defiled, the altar's defiled. Even though they defeated the Syrians, the temple is destroyed but they're going to rededicate it. They're going to clean it up. 
And when they go to light the menorah, they find out that there's only one cruise of oil bearing the high priest's seal. And they don't have enough time to make oil. And the cruise of oil was only enough for one day's burning. So they send a rider, they send someone to go get some, but they decide they're going to do it. They're going to light the menorah. And the story is that a miracle came to pass. And that one cruise of oil lasted eight days. Supernatural oil for a supernatural need. So the following year, it was declared to be a holiday and celebrated every year at that time as a remembrance of the dedication of the temple. They would sing praises to God, Psalms 113 through 18, just like they do on the Passover. They would do Thanksgiving prayers. Uh, fasting would be forbidden. Any eulogies to the dead would be forbidden. This was about life. This was about light. This was about celebration. They couldn't fast, eulogize the dead. They were to be about living and about light and about winning and about the supernatural power of an almighty God over a demonic enemy. The miracle of Hanukkah, which we celebrate every year, both Jew and Gentile for different reasons, meant that a few with Hashem, with God on their side, triumphed over much more seemingly powerful enemies. Eight days of oil came from one vial. So all over the world right now, Jews are celebrating the winning back of Jerusalem and the rededication of the temple. And this should have been, this should have been an explosive period of power and freedom for Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? You just defeated the Syrian army. You just destroyed them. You took back Jerusalem. Hey, Judah, what are you going to do now that you've taken back the temple? Oh, sorry, there is no Disneyland. This is a, this is a powerful time, and, and, it, and it should have changed everything, and they should have risen up, and it should have been wonderful, but it all went wrong. Now, how can that be? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God's in it, it cannot fail. You've heard all the cliches. Well, I'm about to show you how you make things fail that God has put his hand on, how you can make things fail that Adonai that the Lord has ordained. The first thing you need to understand is that over the years of the temple being gone and there being no teachers of the law and everything being forbidden, the, the people forgot their way. And there was nobody to teach them the law. So here they are. They're back in business, and they don't understand what they're supposed to do. They have no teachers. So Judah calls for men to separate themselves from the people to teach the law and make it their life's business to guide the people. The word separated ones means Pharisee. The Pharisees began out of the victory of the rededication of the temple. They were the descendants, the, the ones we call Pharisees today, and in Jesus' time were the direct descendants of the Hasidim, the loyal fighters for religious freedom at the time of Judas Maccabeus. They, they were responsible for the transformation and the restoration of Judaism. But here's what they did. Get ready for this. They took religion of sacrifice, and they turned it into one of written laws. They developed the oral tradition and made the law now twofold, both written, both written and oral. They began to add to the word that they said, you shall not add to nor take away from this word, but they did. They began to add the, add the ways of men. They began to add heavy weights that the people could not carry, and everything went wrong. They began to adopt new ideas and adapt the law to new situations. So now you have the beginning of a mess. But you know what? Syria didn't stop fighting. 
Suey didn't go, oh, we got our butt kicked by a bunch of farmers. We're never going back. Just like the enemy won't stop coming just because you win a few. They kept coming, and Judah Maccabee kept winning. But he got tired of fighting, as we all do. He grew weary of the fighting, so he sent two of his nephews to Rome to request an alliance with Rome for protection. Listen to what I am telling you. Judah Maccabee, who won the war against Antiochus Epiphanes, who rededicated the temple, who had the miracle of the oil, who was winning battles he should not win, grew tired of fighting, and then through natural reasoning figured, I will get an alliance with someone stronger than they, who will protect us. I no longer need God's protection. I will take man's protection. And he cut a deal with Rome. Rome agreed to do little, but took a lot. And what they took was absolute allegiance to Rome. And out of that alliance came the Roman occupation of the Jews. Did you hear what I just said? Judah Maccabee, the man used by the Father, used by the Lord, filled with the Spirit, guiding him in guerrilla warfare, took Jewish farmers and turned them into soldiers and built this army that had not lost before, now wants to cut a deal with Rome for protection. And then his brother and his brother's sons took over the, the ruling of that alliance. They became the brokers of it. So from Simon Maccabee, Judah's brother, the Hasmonean dynasty gave us Herod the Great 100 years later. You see what happens when flesh gets into the mix? And uh, just so that you know, Rome did nothing to protect them from the next Syrian attack. Syria decided to attack again, and this time they had such insurmountable numbers that Judah's men fled and left him on the battlefield, and he died because he refused to submit. He refused to retreat and fight another day. His ego, his pride, I don't know what it was, but he died on the battlefield, and he was buried in the tomb of his fathers, and the only information we have on him comes from the book of the Maccabees and the Apocrypha and from Josephus. Now, don't you think a man so used by the Almighty to do what he did should have volumes written about him in Jewish history and all they have are the book of the Maccabees and the historian Josephus. Compromise with the world, compromise with the enemy, cutting a deal with the devil has consequences. It had it for him and it would have it for the Jews. So what? does this have to do with Yeshua? A lot. Because when we go 200 years forward and we see Yeshua in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication in John chapter 10, verse 22, we see the end result of compromise. We see the end result of trusting in the things of men, the rules of men. We see the end result of the Pharisees and the law and the oral tradition and trying to do things without the Spirit. Go with me to John chapter 10, starting with verse 22. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, kind of where we are right now. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Yeshua answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and he answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, for you being a man, make yourself God. Now, isn't it interesting? They're all in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah. They're all in Jerusalem to celebrate the victory over Antiochus Epiphanes, who called himself to be God, and asked for their worship. And they were getting ready to stone the real deal because they're so caught up in their blindness. They're so caught up in, in, in their myopic focus on the letter of the law. They miss the spirit thereof. And Yeshua answers them in verse 34. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God. And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, set apart, dedicated Hanukkah, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And therefore they sought to seize him again, and he escaped out of their hand. So we know that he's at the Feast of Dedication. So this is Hanukkah. It's winter time. It's the 25th of Kislev. It's actually winter of 29 AD. And these are on Solomon's porch, which, by the way, is where the menorah was, where they lit the candles. So here we have the light of the world standing by the menorah, which is their light to the world. And so you have the spirit and you have the law. You have the, the living God, the living word, and you have the written word. You have the tradition of men, and then you have the son of the living God standing right there. And here's the problem. Men filled with religious spirits cannot hear the things of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Men and women and anyone filled with a religious spirit cannot hear the things of the Holy Spirit. Their eyes will glaze over, their teeth will gnash, their ears will go deaf. They can't do it, just like these men couldn't do it. Everything he said, his words and his actions, pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But they couldn't hear it. They couldn't see it. Paul refers back to this kind of zeal in Romans chapter 10. Starting with verse 1, let me, let me read you the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they do not understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Messiah has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. The law can't save you, but the law will condemn you. The law will you declare you a sinner in need of a sacrifice. But Messiah is the end of the law. He's the end of sacrifices. He's the end of the rituals. He's the end of the outward religion which foreshadowed him. And he's the beginning of the spiritual realities of a new and better covenant. But the Jews and those with a religious spirit are too stubbornly ignorant in their zealousness to hear what I just said. 
If the law is still in effect, Messiah died for nothing. Though I light the candles every night, and though I celebrate he is the light of the world, and I acknowledge him, and I do it as a remembrance of him, if for some reason I miss a day, or if I can't get to the candle, it's not the end of the world, because I'm not bound by the ritual. I'm not bound by the letter of the law. I am bound to the spirit of the law by the Holy Spirit, which is in me. And if he's in you, you shouldn't have this problem. But some of you are having this problem. You're having the same problem with the Jews that were standing there with Messiah in front of them. He all but says, I am the Messiah. He tells them about the signs of the Messiah, the blind, the, the eyes of the blind are opened in John 10, 21. He calls and talks about the shepherd. He talks about the sheep. He's, he's Ezekiel 34's Davidic Messiah, who would be a shepherd. And they're standing there, deaf, dumb, and blind, in a spiritual stupor, going, oh, are you the Messiah? And he was smart enough how to answer that question, because if he said if he, that he was there on that temple mount at that particular time, it would have caused a riot, but he shouldn't have had to answer the question. Just like, i got to be honest with you, I shouldn't have to answer some of the questions I do from some of you that claim to be believers and that you're born again. But here's what I think has happened. I think you've become born again. I think you have made Yeshua Lord of your life, Jesus Lord of your life. I believe that you've received the seal of the Spirit, but I do not believe you have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit that would allow him to manifest himself both through the gifts and the fruit. And the reason you have not received the Spirit to be able to manifest the gifts and the fruit is because you're still caught up in control. You're still caught up in the law. You're still caught up in, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. If the Lord were to come to you physically with a name tag that said Yeshua and stood there and said, I want you to hop on one leg and recite the alphabet backward for this person, you wouldn't be able to do it because your natural mind would go, why? And I don't understand. And why should I? Not knowing that there, there may be a, an absolute reason why he wants you to do that for that individual. But the, first, the fact that he said, do it, I should, my, your attitude should be, for how long, Lord? Because I'm ready to go. But you can't do that. You're still so caught up in the, in the tightness of the walk. Freedom and liberty. Yes, the light of the world. But the, some of you are living in the shadows. You don't want to live in the light. And I think there's a reason for that. Just like it says in John, they didn't want to be in the light because the light exposes things. There's areas of your life you don't want to give up. There's thought patterns or decisions or, or things that you don't want to give up. I will tell you right now, if you want the move of the Spirit, if you want the freedom of the Lord, the freedom of the Spirit in your life, if you want to walk in what we talk about for the Book of Acts Church, you've got to be willing to let go. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to give all their money. They made a commitment and then lied about it and dropped dead. I, I don't know if I'm getting through but this, this desire, I, I've said it before, and I'm going to clarify it again. From 1997, when we became involved with the local Messianic community, which was rather large, I've noticed two things about the Messianic movement. It's never grown. It loses as many people as it gets. There's a reason for that. I also notice there aren't a whole lot of happy people in it. I also notice there are not a lot of signs and wonders and miracles in it. I guess that would tell me that the Spirit might not be there, and that if he is, it can't work. It can't function, which is why I really don't have a whole heck of a lot to do with the Messianic community. I don't have a lot to do with the religious community. 
I don't have a lot to do with the church community. You know why? Because I want to run with the Spirit. I want to go where the Spirit says go. I want to do what my Father says do, no matter how ridiculous it is to set the captives free. The Pharisees led the people for all those years, and here he is, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the one who was sent for them, the one that they've been praying for the Lord to raise up, the Son of David, to rule over Israel. And here he is doing everything the Messiah would do, and they can't see him because they're spiritually blind. They're wicked and they're corrupt. And that's what flesh does. That's what your mind does. We have this nine-branch candelabrum, eight, eight, four on either side, and then the servant candle in the middle. And it lights each of the additional candles each night to commemorate the eight-day miracle. And of course, I can teach you and tell you that the servant candle is Yeshua, and that each one of us is a light, and we're a candle, and we're to be called the light of the world. And we pray a prayer for the miracles. We thank you for the miracles, for the redemption, for the mighty deeds, for the saving acts, and for the wonders you have wrought for our ancestors in those days and at these times. And I'm sorry, my Jewish brothers and sisters from Israel, so now where are your miracles? Where are your signs and wonders? Even when you had them, even when great nations attack you and you win a war in six days, you still seek the favor of man, the allegiances of man. You still try to cut deals. And just like Judah Maccabee, that's going to bite you in your spiritual posterior. Eighth, the number of new beginnings. I tell you what, folks, I need a new beginning. I need new light. I need new fire. And I want that fire every day, and I want it to burn every day. But some of you are sitting and listening to me going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I have no freedom in my life. I have no joy in my life. My home is a mess. My business is a mess. My life is a mess. My finances are a mess. Why don't I understand this, Richard? And, and i got to be honest with you. Sometimes I, I just sit here and go, I don't know. It's so simple. Let go control. Last week we talked about his will, his way. Let him do what he wants to do, however he wants to do it. Because if you're going to be a light that's going to shine before men, if you're going to be a lamp that people are going to find in the darkness, if you're going to be the way that they find back to, to, to their heavenly father, you better be willing to burn as hot and as bright as he wants you to burn. But if you have too much pride, and if you're too cool for that, he won't use you. If you're too busy doing other things, he won't use you. I don't know what else you could do that is so important that you would set aside the time to do that and not be with him. Whether it's video games or movies or Facebook or, or whatever it is that you do, that's time you've lost with him. I want to be that great light that they see in the darkness. I want him to use me to lead the captives home, to set them free. And that won't happen by me trying to live in the law. Because, by the way, if the law was capable of saving you, Yeshua wouldn't have had to die. He wouldn't have had to be crucified. He wouldn't have had to be ripped to pieces and every drop of blood shed from his body. If the law was good enough, the Pharisees would have been good enough. And, boy, were they not good enough. No, it's the Spirit. That's where the liberty comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit working together so that you can serve him. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. We are all one. But what's amazing is the law came from Moses for the Jew and the Jew alone. But it's Yeshua who bridges the gap between the Jew and the Gentile for the fulfillment 
of the law to the Father. The cross is the bridge. I don't know how you can come to the cross and see what he did for you and not be set free. So until he comes again, until he splits the sky, until he takes us home, every year we get to this time of year, and as I light that candle, I acknowledge who he is. Lord, you are the servant candle. You are the shamash. I want to burn. Set me on fire, Lord. Fill me with miraculous oil so that I can be what you need me to be in this dark and dying world to help set the captives free and bring them home. Father, I don't know what else there is to say. You sent Yeshua, your son. You dedicated him, and he burned. And then through his death and the blood and his resurrection, you allowed the temple to be torn down because you didn't need it anymore. You allowed the sacrifices to stop because they were unnecessary. There had been one sacrifice for all, never to be again. And then you declared us your temples, and you put your spirit inside of us. And Father, though I long for the rebuilding of the temple, I don't long for it the way people would think. I have no need for the next temple. I just simply know that once it's built, the Antichrist will show himself, and the end will come. Come, Lord Jesus. So build build the temple. Find the ashes of the red heifer. Begin your sacrifices, which really have no meaning to the Father, because the unblemished lamb has been sacrificed once for all, and he sits at the right hand of the Father in intercession for us full time. Not yearly, but full time. He's always there. And if I mess up, I can confess my sins, and he is right and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But, Lord, we don't want to be like Judah Maccabee. We don't want to get the miracle. We don't want to have divine intervention. We don't want to do great and mighty exploits for you and then put our trust in men and then put our trust in our own abilities and fail so miserably that there's very little of us to remember. No, Lord, when the Antichrist appears, if we happen to still be here, if you've delayed or for whatever reason we're here, just like the Maccabees, I won't bow down. I won't kiss the statue. I won't genuflect. I'll kiss no man's ring. Let me say that again. I will bend my knee to no man, no matter what he's wearing or what he looks like, and kiss his ring. The same spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead inside of me. And the only person I will bend my knee to is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I pray for you now. I pray for you now. There's a lot more here, but you know what? Sometimes words are unnecessary, and we have to get to the facts. And the facts are, you need a miracle. In the season of miracles. You've been living in the shadows. It's time to come into the light. It's time for you to take a good look at yourself. Get your spiritual mirrors out. Right here, right now, with the time that we have left, get your spiritual mirrors out and be honest with yourself. Are you what he intended you to be, or do you have the facade of religion? Are you like the Pharisees? You look real good. You dress real good. You have the you have the Z seats. You got the tassels. You got it all going on. But if you were to be ripped open, you'd have dead men's bones inside. Is there happiness? Is there joy? 
Are there any miracles around you? Does anybody get saved? Does anybody get healed? Does anybody get delivered? Are you in bondage? Do the chains still clank and rattle as you walk your everyday life? Or do you cover them up real well so that nobody sees them? Well, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in the name of the one who shed his blood for you, be set free. Let the chains fall off. Let the scales fall off your eyes. Let the, let the coverings come off your ears. Let the religious spirits be broken and a spirit of liberty, the pure oil of the Holy Spirit, fill you and cover you and envelop you. Receive the miracle of the cross. Receive the miracle of the empty tomb. Receive the miracle of the upper room. I bind that intellectual spirit that spirit of gnosis, that spirit of knowledge. And I say, get away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and find the tree of life. Hasatan, you, your fallen angels, all your fallen watchers and all your demonic offspring, I remind you this day that you are defeated by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach. Bend your knee and declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you won't, I pray the Father will send angels and forcibly make you bend your knee until the day comes that you're wrapped in chains and you're tossed into the lake. Set his children free. Burn. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. Begin to break out of the darkness and get into the light. How do you do that? You get there with prayer. You get there with praise. Get some really good anointed praise and worship music, things that speak the word, that sing the word, that uplift your spirit, man, and get powerful. Get filled with the fire. Be filled with the oil. Start your day. Start your day. Bless you, Lord of God, King of the universe. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Lord. Fill me. Fill me. Use me today. Whatever's wrong, make it right. Whatever I've got wrong, correct. Yield at the beginning of the day. Submit at the end. Cover me. If I've done anything wrong, wash me clean. Wash me in the blood. If I'm not in right relationship, show me so I can get in right relationship. Break the spirit of unforgiveness. Folks, you are the thing that's holding you back. Not the devil. Not, not, not anything but you. You are the one holding you back. And you must believe. Judah Maccabee believed. He believed he could defeat Antiochus Epiphanes. He believed that he could take Jewish farmers and turn them into a fighting force. He believed because he believed it was about Hashem, about God, about the promises of his of God. But then somewhere along the line, he lost that humility and thought it was about him. I guess he listened to the PR and he listened to the reports and he lost his way. Don't lose your way. Father, I pray for your children. I pray that they would believe and they would receive. Father, send your fire upon them now, wherever they are. Light them up. Light them up. It's Hanukkah. It's the, it's the feast of dedication because the temples are no longer there. We are the temple. Light him up, Lord. Light him up, Holy Spirit. Light him up. 
Fill them with the Spirit. Fill them with the Spirit, Lord. Fill them. Let the gifts come forth. Let the fruit grow. Change your life. Change the lives of those around you and begin to change the world. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Gunn. I have an honor to share this with you tonight on the porch on Firefall Talk Radio.